Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 155 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. What a difference a week makes. Temperatures of 20 degrees Celsius have given way to days barely above freezing. Stay tuned for updates on how this is affecting my colonies and why the number 35 is so important to our honeybees. beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome back, everyone. I trust you are all safe and well and wrapped up against the cold. What a shock to the system these last few days have been. As I said in the introduction, we've been enjoying some very pleasant spring days with the sun shining and temperatures skyrocketing, only to be brought back to ground with a thump by good old mother nature. This week, with overnight temperatures down as low as two or three degrees below zero. And on that topic, I learnt a new trick last week. Apparently, if you double the number and add 30, it gets you to degrees Fahrenheit. Thus, three degrees below doubled is minus six. But of course, here's where my maths is shockingly weak. Does minus 3 plus minus 3 equal 0 or minus 6? Personally, I'm going with minus 6. Thus, minus 6 plus 30 gives 24. So a temperature of minus 3 Celsius is approximately 24 degrees Fahrenheit, apparently. I'll let you guys check it out and see what happens. In fact, let's just have a quick look. And checking online... According to Google and various other websites that are out there that make all of these calculations for us, minus 3 Celsius equals 26.6. So it's not that far out. I've just tried it with 20 degrees Celsius too. Using the fast approximation would give us 20 plus 20 plus 30, which equals 70. And Google gives me 68 Fahrenheit. So that's pretty good, really. Well, that's today's maths lesson dealt with. Go grab a coffee and let that sink slowly to the back of your mind and possibly, like me, gradually fade away until forgotten or indeed immediately lost for all time as some of the knowledge I gain seems to do. How is it that I can remember some most technical of information and yet seem to lose other stuff almost immediately. I had a friend, sadly, who is no longer with us, who I worked with for a very short space of time. We worked for a company that sold, among other things, door and window frames. The computer codes for these things were just insane, and I could never remember them at all. Certainly at the time, I had to carry around a copy of the product catalogue to find the right things. Yet he, some 20-odd years later, could still recite the codes and descriptions of all of these things. Yet, talk to him about plants in the garden and he was lost. Plants I'd name and rename for him over and over and over, he would just simply forget. Oh well, I guess each of us have a section of our brain called the remembering lobe, the part of the brain where we store things we want to always remember, and I guess that's where most of my beekeeping stuff is stored. I just made that bit up, the remembering lobe. I have no idea if we have one of those, but it sounds like we ought to. It sounds pretty cool to me. It does make sense, though. Maybe it's called 
the things we're passionate about, Loeb. Certainly beekeeping would be right up there, crammed in with family gardening, fishing, some sport, and of course all of the top secret stuff that we keep to ourselves, but let's not go there. Oh, I nearly forgot to add, watercolour painting would be in there now too. I'm really enjoying having a bash at painting, and I never thought I would ever say that. Obviously, I'm not very good at it, but that's not the point. It's there for fun and downtime, and I'm absolutely loving it. What I'm not loving at the moment is this cold weather. I had to dig out my crocheted beanie hat that my brother made for me a few years back, along with a couple of jumpers and coats. But every cold day has a silver lining. Luckily, a thermally insulated hat and scarf silver lining. But on this occasion, the benefit is the easy movement of honeybee colonies. I've been thinking long and hard about the oilseed rape pollination for this year. The reason being, the site is really terribly exposed. By that, what I mean is not to the elements, but to passing traffic. Okay, it's in the middle of the Norfolk countryside, but there is regular passing traffic and the area that the hives are in is very visible. I'm so fortunate to have apiary sites behind locked gates, colonies hidden away from prying eyes and, touch wood, difficult to access. But this site is, I think, just too exposed. I can't put bees behind a hedge line because that exposes them to a well-used road from the other side. I've already mentioned it to the farm manager who understands and, let's face it, the farm isn't going to cover the cost of replacement beehives bees and loss of honey if the worst should happen, so why should I take all the risk? It would be difficult if the farmer had a contract with me and was paying the full pollination fee, but we're actually doing a partial fee, not even a third of the full amount, so I'm wondering why I should take the risk at all. In fact, typing this podcast script helps focus my mind on the whole situation, and I think I'm going to call it off, well, probably, The good news is the other existing sites that we have are all well covered, surrounded by oilseed rape, despite many farmers choosing to reduce or even stop the amount of oilseed rape that they've planted. So back to my point about the cold weather helping with moving bees. The effect of this cold weather snap on our bees is not really as dramatic as might at first be thought. Obviously, there's a massive but coming here, But for most colonies about now, they've reached a point where, on average, they're building nicely and have growing numbers of adult bees that are numerous enough to cover the brood area and keep it at the required temperature, that magical number of around 35 degrees Celsius. Two things to note here are, given our early topic, firstly, 35 plus 35 plus 30 is 95 degrees Fahrenheit, so that works nicely. And the figure of 35 degrees in the brood nest isn't a number I just googled or looked up in a textbook. It's just something that I remember. How on earth does that work? Anyway, and here I take a quick meander through the old brain box, 35 degrees Celsius is also an optimal temperature for wax production. And it's also a great temperature for enzymes to work. And we all know that there's an awful lot of enzymatic activity going on in the beehive. 
That's a bit of a tongue twister. So think about what's going on in your beehive right now. Lots of activity relating to that oh-so-important temperature of 35 degrees Celsius. And it's a very important number for our honeybees. It's also why, as we move into the spring and nighttime temperatures start to rise, that we see swarming. With higher temperatures both day and night, it allows all of this activity to occur without hindrance. That is, unless we have a cold snap. So it's unlikely that any bees will be swarming right now because the conditions are not favourable. And why would you risk everything if conditions weren't in your favour? Although average spring colonies are well equipped to deal with this colder weather, there will be those that perish, the very small colonies that have an underlying issue. Perhaps it's a lack of food, a disease causing them challenges, but whatever it is, there will be a thinning of colonies out there. It's why we check colonies in late winter and make sure they have plenty of food stores and are developing well. Those colonies, sadly, that are too small, probably wouldn't have been able to survive particularly well into the year anyway. And although they can be wrapped in cotton wool and helped through the year, they never really develop into much and very often perish the following winter. I've had this happen on numerous occasions until the penny finally dropped for me. I'm always reluctant to nurse these colonies through because for me it just means time and money more often than not wasted. I do accept that some hobbyist beekeepers will want to do all they can to nurse their colonies no matter how weak they are and that's perfectly fine too. Remember this is your hobby, your passion. You do what you want to do with your bees. Of course sometimes these are also the very same beekeepers who complain at the autumn honey show that they didn't get any honey this year. I wonder why. Anyway I digress. Back to moving bees. The bees are not really flying much at the moment. The brood nest needs caring for and it takes a lot of bees to maintain a brood nest temperature of 35 degrees when the outside temperature is near zero. That said, I was at our fishing lakes apiaries just a day or two ago and although the temperature was only 5 or 6 degrees Celsius, there was a regular flow of bees coming in and out of the hives, which means I'll still have to get out fairly early to move the bees, especially before the sun hits the side of the boxes and warms them a little. The colonies have all been earmarked for transport. I'm shifting all of the national hives over to the Bluebell Apiary, along with a few commercial hives. This apiary is surrounded by oilseed rape this year and one of the fields is looking distinctly yellow. The remaining colonies for moving are heading over to the farm apiaries where they will either join the existing colonies or end up in a new secluded apiary site that is also near the fields of oilseed rape. These will be the commercial sized brood box beehives. They're the same footprint as a national hive but I intend transferring some if not all of these over to the Honeypore Langstroth hives and I'll produce a series of videos showing how I'm going to do this as we move forward. With the temperatures down nice and low, it's a simple enough job blocking up the entrances with some foam, strapping them down and lifting them onto the truck. I have a range of straps to use, but my personal preference, as I think I've mentioned before, is the standard hive strap from Thorns. It's the metal blue flap 
arrangement with the orange strap. They're so easy to use, but I'm amazed at how many people get confused with the mechanics of how they actually work. Because of that, I think I'm the only one in our small but perfectly formed team here that's able to do them up properly. I moved a load of supers to the Bluebell Apuries a few days ago, and despite having the boxes well strapped down to the back of the truck, I still felt a little nervous when I was driving to the site. I guess it's because I don't move bees around very often. I did check all of the straps when I arrived, and they were as tight as they were when I started, so I obviously got it right. Still, you can never be too careful. For the back of the truck, I used the standard ratchet straps, not the orange hive straps. Once I'd finished unloading the truck, I decided to take a walk around the apiary. It's surrounded by a beautiful woodland, and it is a very beautiful site, and I'm very lucky to have it as one of my apiary locations. About halfway round the site, it started to throw it down with a kind of sleety hail type snow and I'm sure there's a technical name for it but whatever it is it was particularly chilly and I guess not too surprising as we head into mid-spring. April showers of sorts. It didn't last that long and I was rewarded for my walk by stumbling across a couple of muntjac deer. I'm not sure who was more surprised but they disappeared very quickly. As I walked back to the truck, I was surprised to see that one of the fields in particular was looking very yellow, and I posted a picture of it on my Patreon page. The bees will already be working it, but this cooler weather will just hold them back a little for all the reasons that I've mentioned. The plan is to get the bees over to the site this week and immediately follow up with a visit to put on excluders and supers. I don't think I'll inspect until the weather is a bit warmer, but I do want to give them the space so that the bees can move around and not feel too short of space that they start building queen cells to swarm. All of that said, I think we are on the cusp of the start of our delayed season, so things are about to warm up, both metaphorically and literally, I hope. Changing the subject, I wanted to alert you to something that's becoming more and more of an issue, not just for me, but for a lot of beekeeping YouTubers around the world. I was first made aware of this issue a few months ago by my fellow YouTuber Richard Knoll over in France. If you've not seen his channel, then do take a look. The problem we face is that people are stealing parts of our videos to use in advertising products that we're completely unaware of. In particular, the latest stolen video clips come from the Nico Queen Rearing System video that I produced a few years ago. Of course, in this instance, the problem is the items being advertised are not Nico products at all, but some cheap imported version. I've had several messages from beekeepers that have bought these cheaper versions online. Let's face it, the Nico system is quality. You get what you pay for. All of the parts fit together as they should, whereas the reports I've had are that the non-genuine versions have individual component parts that are loose-fitting, so when you try to push them together, they simply fall out. Not great when you're looking to suspend a cell cup in a queen-rearing finisher colony. There are several reliable UK companies out there selling the genuine Nico system, and it retails for around £30 to £35. I've just taken a quick look and found Thorns, Simon the Beekeeper and Beekeeping Supplies UK 
all selling the genuine product. I'll add links to the podcast notes. As usual, trying to take down copyright infringed material is time consuming and difficult, but it's another example of someone stealing something that someone else has put a lot of time and effort into producing. I know we're always going to struggle against this kind of thing, but if you do see any of my videos advertising products in places that are not obviously associated with me, then do let me know. They tend to crop up mostly on the dreaded social media feeds of Instagram and Facebook, so do keep an eye out for them. Finally, a quick reminder that if you're not yet a subscriber to my Patreon page, you can access over 800 individual beekeeping posts and get some really great tips and techniques for the coming season, and also save money by signing up to my annual subscriptions from just £3 per month for in excess of 450 beekeeping videos alone. What's not to like about that? If you'd like additional support, then check out my Coaching Plus tier for individual help and support through the coming season. Links, as usual, will be in the podcast notes, and here's to warmer spring days so we can all get into the new season in the next week or so. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Mm-hmm.